and the door's going to be wide open. It's not going to be just that traditional, we're going to offer TV and internet and telephone services over over these fiber optic networks. We haven't even imagined all the uses for it yet. Welcome to a special episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast in our new podcast series, Why NC Broadband Matters. I'm Lisa Gonzalez with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in Minneapolis, Minnesota. NC Broadband Matters is a North Carolina nonprofit. Their mission is to attract, support, and champion the universal availability of affordable, reliable, high-capacity Internet access, which is necessary for thriving local communities, local businesses, and a local workforce to enable competition in the global economy. The group has created the North Carolina chapter of CLIC, the Coalition for Local Internet Choice. We're collaborating with NC Broadband Matters to present this series that touches on issues that, while certainly affect folks in North Carolina, also impact people in other states. Our second episode is titled Fiber Rich Wilson, Why and What's Next? You've heard plenty of podcasts from us about communities that have developed fiber to the home networks, including Wilson, North Carolina. Have you ever wondered about the actual fiber? In this interview, Christopher talks with Gene Scott, General Manager of Outside Plant from Wilson. The community there has been working with fiber for more than a decade. He talks about Wilson and their network's past, present, and future. Now here's Christopher and Gene to discuss fiber, Wilson, North Carolina, and the Greenlight Community Broadband Network. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast special series. (laughs) This is episode two in the Why North Carolina Broadband Matters podcast series uh, done by me, Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, I'm talking with Gene Scott, the general manager for Outside Plant uh, at Greenlight, a division of the city of Wilson in North Carolina. Uh, Welcome to the show, Gene. Oh, thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be here. People who have listened to probably more than two of my podcasts will be aware that I am a big fan of Wilson. I think that you all have not just built a very impressive network, but you're using it in innovative ways, uh, frankly, in the ways that we like to see when we have um, municipal broadband. Um, But why don't we, let me just ask you to tell me, what has Wilson done for people who aren't very familiar with it? The city of Wilson has built a all fiber optic fiber to the home network for its citizens. We've got a long-standing history of always wanting to provide services to our citizens here. They would match anything they could find in larger metropolitan areas. And uh, one of the things that we're proud of is that if those services aren't provided by uh, large, independent, um, privately-owned companies, that the city has taken it upon itself to do it for its citizens. Uh, we've done that with our electrical grid in the early 1900s. We did it with gas services a little bit later, and then we did it with broadband starting around 2005-2006. This desire to make sure that our citizens have the service and the service levels that you would see in larger areas I think makes us unique. Uh, we started on this network, Chris, um, with the engineering and material selection in early 2007. Our construction actually started in June of 2007, and we built over 200 miles of plant in 18 months. And we got, uh, at the end of the 18-month period, we had our first 100 customers online, and we've been growing steadily ever since. Uh, So I thought that was a pretty good feat for a city that's uh, roughly 50,000, located in eastern North Carolina. We now have over 10,000 customers 
and we were expanding our network uh, into the county. And for people who aren't familiar, uh, they might think you have 10,000 out of 50,000, but you have um, more than uh, probably approaching half of the market uh, because uh, that's uh, the number of customers you have is not the number of people, but the number of premises or households. That's correct. That's a very good point. When I say 50,000, that's a rough census number. That's total population. But in reality, uh, you're exactly right. We're probably approaching the 50% of the market because I want to say, at least on initial studies back in 07, 08, there were roughly about uh, 22,000 what we would call passings, which would be uh, individual lots or parcels inside the city limits. So you're exactly correct. We're getting close to the 50% mark. You're the outside plant manager for uh, uh, people who are just really enthusiastic about better broadband and aren't familiar with the technology. What does outside plant mean? Do you do a lot of pruning? (laughs) No, no. Outside plant would be considered anything that's located literally outside of the head end, which is where all your electronics are located. It would be all your cabling, your underground construction, your aerial overhead construction, the installation piece at the customer's home, uh, the maintenance of the plant, anything that's literally located outside. Which I'm, I'm guessing is, is an overwhelming is, um, cost of the network. So you're uh, quite important in terms of um, making sure the network is doing what it needs to, comes in on budget and all that sort of thing. Yeah, that's correct. The outside plant, you can look at it in, in, two, in two different uh, aspects. One, yes, it's extremely expensive to construct. And every area is going to be different. The construction here in Wilson is going to literally be different in both cost and method. And it would be in a community that may be located no more than 50 or 60 miles from here, just because of terrain, soil types, whether or not uh, someone actually owned their own distribution, electrical distribution system like we do. So that's, that's one aspect of it. The other way you also have to look at it is if it's designed and built correctly and using fiber optic technology, you almost future-proof that piece of the network, meaning that you don't have to go out and overbuild it every time that you want to upgrade your network. It's all an electronics change out at that point. Over the period or lifespan of the network, you're going to actually come out saving a lot of money versus building the traditional twisted pair or coaxial-type networks that have been in use for so many years. Now, when we talk about fiber networks, um, there's obviously different technologies that that people might have heard, and we don't have to go into sort of passive optical networks versus active, but there's a term that is used, which is fiber-rich, and and I'm curious if you can tell me what it means for a network to be fiber-rich. We would consider ourselves fiber-rich because when we uh, designed and constructed the network, we sized the actual cables large enough that every single residence, every single partial in the city had a dedicated fiber. And I think that's sometimes called home run, right here in the, the middle of, well, as we're recording it, it's, toward the, uh, it's during the um, World Series, so appropriate. Yeah. yeah. When you talk about home run, it depends on are you, if you're talking about a architectural design, because there's three different ways you can build a, an outside plant network. One of them being a, a home run or having a dedicated fiber from the central office or head-end location to your end user or customer. Uh, we use a local convergence point type of network, although 
you still have a dedicated fiber from a local convergence point in the field to each individual customer. The point being, when you build a network like this, the cost of the materials, the fiber cable itself, which is one of the benefits of it, is to upsize it is not tremendous. In other words, you can you can double the size of your network without doubling the um, size of or, or your of your cost. Uh, so when we built it, we made the decision that we were going to build it as if 100% of our citizens were going to take the service, and so we don't have to go back and cause delays in reinforcing the network at later dates and overbuilding it in the future. Uh, so fi- being fiber-rich, the way I would consider it is that we have it designed so there's plenty of fiber for all those that want it in very simple terms. That, that's very clear. Um, that also allows you then, if you wanted to in the future, you could change a lot of the electronics um, into a whole different standard because you'd have to just change it in the, in the convergence point as opposed to um, having to you know, go through and significantly re-engineer it, I'm guessing. You're, you're exactly right, Chris. There are no active devices in the, in the field between where our head-end electronics are located and the customer's premise. Other than the ONT, your optical network terminal at the customer's home, there's no electronics that you have to upgrade in the field. That's a big cost savings. Everything is passive in the network. So you're exactly correct. It's not something that you would have to redo over and over again. So, Gene, I'm curious how the you know the costs of this network are of building a fiber network in the way you have um, vary from other technologies that people might be familiar with. In a general sense, uh, Chris, constructing the outside plant portion of it, all the cabling uh, that's necessary to operate the network, is considerably less expensive than the traditional twisted pair or coaxial networks that have been deployed for years. And another benefit is. Once it is constructed, the maintenance of it is a, uh, considerably less. It's not affected by lightning, power surges, electrical influence, moisture, all the things that affect any type of copper type of uh, conductor is not a, not a factor with fiber. So it is a benefit. Over long-term um, lifespan of the network, it is less expensive to maintain. Well, and I'm curious about the longevity because we've all heard stories about fiber lasting many decades. I think it's often depreciated over about 20 years. Um, your network is closer to 20 years old than five years old. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, are you seeing any any degradation or any sense that that you have to be, start being concerned in the next 10 years about the quality of the fiber? None, none whatsoever. And you're correct, fiber. We don't know what the lifespan of fiber cable is. I can tell you that in my previous career, we were deploying fiber cables in the early 1980s. Uh, they're still operational, and um, to my knowledge, with no uh, degradation of service. So at this point, uh, we yes, we do depreciate over, say, 30-year time frame in terms of book value, but uh, we may be looking at cables that last 50, 60, 70 years. It's we just don't know yet, but we've seen no um, decline or deterioration in our network so far, and it's been operational now, fully operational for um, about 12 years. Right, although I, I suspect it was lying around in, in some parts of the town even a few years before that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the backbone, I think, was actually built uh, just prior to me coming with the city of Wilson, which was 2005, but so far, so good. Uh, no deterioration, no evidence of deterioration. And we 
we do have a regular maintenance program and we do look for those types of signs and so far nothing. Well, as I said earlier, I one of the things that I love about Wilson is that I I feel like it is the embodiment of a network that is really trying to help the community in every way that it can. Uh, I've done many discussions over the years about, uh, in particular, how Wilson has focused on low-income population to make sure that they are able to access the internet um, on the same terms that the rest of us do. Um, You know, rich people like me. Um, (laughs) So um, let me ask you, you're working on something that is is really great. And I've seen people talk about this in in the past, but you're actually out there doing it in terms of uh, of a training program. So so let's let's talk about that for a while. What's going on there? It was very interesting, Chris, and something that I had not thought about when we were in the rush to build a network. We were initially very lucky to find a, a small group of, of good young people who came on board with us, and they, many of them are still here working with us, to help with the construction of the network and the design of it. But as we grew, obviously, we we're going to need more and more employ- employees. And uh, I didn't Personally, I had not put a lot of thought of that being an issue. I just thought all we'd have to do is post a job. People would come in. Need a little training or polishing, we could do that. But it became evident pretty quickly that, yes, we could post the jobs, and, yes, we would get some good candidates in terms of work ethic and attitude, personal skills, but they did not have the technical skills necessary to run an all-fiber optic network. And so we we implemented a in-house training program. All that went well but we were growing rapidly and still continuing to grow rapidly. And I got to thinking about it, and I thought, well, maybe if we could start a program through our community college, Wilson Community College, we could not only benefit ourselves in terms of being able to have place uh, in a curriculum that was already set up to train our employees, but I could also tell there was a demand for people trained in fiber optics, uh, not just for Wilson, uh, not just for other municipalities, although there's a need there too, but you have big uh, companies, the Googles, AT&Ts, those companies are deploying fiber networks and they're going to need trained employees. So I approached the community college with an idea, could they put together something that we could train future technicians in? And of course they were enthusiastic, but they weren't sure what we needed, so we actually helped write a curriculum for them, and we've done a trial course. It's kind of a fiber optic overview, just to see what the interest was, because I saw a need, but I didn't know if other people would see a need. So we did a 10-week course uh, this past winter, and we had full enrollment almost immediately, and most of the people that came were from other municipalities who had institutional networks for their own use. Uh, and they were coming from as far away as uh, two-and-a-half-hour drives to come to this class once a week for 10 weeks. And what we did is just touch on all the different aspects of history of fiber optics. You know, we went into selection of materials, maintenance, uh, just kind of give people a broad idea of what it takes to run the network. And it was successful to the point that we had some strong demand for us to do it again, and we're going to try something a little different this time, Chris. We're going to put together, we call it a boot camp. It's going to last four and a half days, and we're going to try to condense that 10 weeks into four and a half pretty intensive days and um, teach that again through the community college. It's their continuing education program, 
and see how that goes. And we just checked the enrollment is already the class is already half full. That'll be and I thought that was pretty good because it's only been available for registration now for about about a week. So we're looking looking forward to it and also offering a more in, in depth, longer term training program that the college is putting together. So, Gene, in, in putting this class together, um, you know, how did you go about uh, finding the right people to offer instruction? This was something I was really excited about because when we sat down with the college and we started talking about, well, who's going to teach this? And obviously, we here in Wilson, we could teach could teach it, but I didn't want that full burden to be on us. And I also wanted to expose students to more than just uh, us. So I started making contacts with different manufacturers um, that make fiber optic products, uh, test equipment, the cabling, all the outside plant portions of it, and just kind of floated the idea to see what they thought or if they could offer some suggestions. And I was surprised, but very happy about the enthusiasm to the point that these manufacturers of the different um, products that are used in a network were sending their subject matter experts to help teach the class. It was fantastic to see the response from the industry as a whole in supporting it. And then they were also telling me that you know, they love the idea of being able to train people to go into the fiber optic field. Again, I was thinking in terms of you know cities like Wilson or companies like Google or AT&T or Verizon, but they also pointed out they need trained people in the manufacturing process. And if they get someone who has a degree or at least has several courses under their belt in fiber optics, that's a good jumping off point to go into research and development at one of these companies or to go into sales because if you're going to have someone sell something to you, you'd like for them to understand the product. So that even further emphasized to me that there is a large demand for these skills and it's growing. And if we think about our economy and how it's transitioning today from manufacturing-type services. And that's all the prediction is most of that will be automated in the not-too-distant future. But a lot of this is going to depend on being able to move data. And what moves data is fiber optic networks. And what will you need to build them? You're going to need trained people. It was a very, very good experience to see the enthusiasm from our from the manufacturers uh, and distributors in wanting to help. Well, I, I, I can imagine that others who are listening to this, uh, for, for instance, in Michigan, where uh, there's a really growing movement to try to figure out how um, to connect a lot of rural Michigan, uh, that this might be an opportunity for some of their um, community colleges. Did you learn anything along the way in terms of, I mean, obviously, you've decided to do a condensed version in addition to the one um, class per week, but are there other lessons that you learned that you're going to be incorporating into future your lesson plans? Yeah, I want to expand it. Um, I want to cover everything from marketing a fiber optic network and its services. I want to cover more in depth the actual design, the cost pricing of a network, the maintenance of one. I want to go into areas where we train individuals on the customer service piece of it. And for those folks who want to be, or more attuned, I should say, just wanted to be able to manage a network like ours, I would like to be able to, to broaden the training to even include that. So it's a wide range. It's not just the um, stereotype where you've got a man in a bucket truck who's 
you know, up a pole and he's splicing some fiber cable. There's a lot more to it. There are a lot of opportunities for young men and women in this in this industry. And that's really what I'm going to focus on now. In the city of Wilson, as well as Wilson Community College, have been extremely supportive of that idea. Have you hired anyone that, that went through that program at this point? Or is it still you know too new and that didn't really line up yet? It's too new for us to have hired anybody from that program. As I said, the initial class was just a overview, broad overview uh, class. I did send some of our newer technicians that we had through it for two reasons. One is to expose them to it, and number two is they'd come back and give me feedback. Was it useful? Did you learn anything? What else would you like to see that would help you in doing your job? And my technicians were very helpful with that. Um, in fact, they really enjoyed learning the history of fiber optics because that was probably a, a good full day of the um, initial training that we did, and we will touch on that again during our shorter version. But people didn't realize that fiber optics, the concept has been around since the uh, mid-1800s. Uh, you know, I didn't know that until I got into it myself. Right. Uh, and then it was not until into the uh, 1960s that Corning actually started some development with uh, the actual fiber that we, or what we would consider fiber today. And then it really took off in the 70s, and then uh, they had to find a market for it, which that was starting late 70s, early 80s. But the whole history of it was very interesting. Well, I, I mean, not to, to go too far afield, but I the the history of glass is actually fascinating and essential for a lot of the things that have led to civilizational breakthroughs. I mean, we wouldn't even know much about uh, how our bodies work or uh, germ theory without glass to make microscopes, um, to make telescopes. I mean, there's the glass is incredible. And for people who are who are interested in this, um, you know, I would also um, recommend um, the Corning has some videos that uh, that may help with uh, just the interest of how the, the fiber optic cables are made. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that this inspires uh, a lot more courses like this, because you know, if, if I'm doing my job right, certainly we'll see a lot more fiber optics uh, jobs being available as we see more investment in so many communities. I 100% agree, and I think that we will see that. And um, if we can train our young people and just show them uh, that this is a good and bright future, and it will cover, as I tried to explain just a little bit earlier, running a fiber optic network has so many different facets to it. Uh, For those people who love to be outside and love the construction aspect, their jobs are for that type of individual. If you like to be on the back end, you love the electronics, you want to be inside, there are jobs for that. There's a jobs for engineers who actually understand the concept and be able to do the design for these networks. If you're fascinated in more in a more general sense about how to market your services, and the door's going to be wide open. It's not going to be just that traditional, we're going to offer TV and internet and telephone services over, over these fiber optic networks. We haven't even imagined all the uses for it yet. Um, if you are familiar with Susan Crawford, and she wrote a book on, on fiber, and if you just have a chance to even glance through the book and what she's seen in different countries in in Western Europe and in Asia, what they've already done with their networks is mind-boggling. Anything from the health field to transportation to education to entertainment, 
and it's new things every day. It's, it's going to be a bright future for those who want to take part in it. And I want to share one thing uh, also with you, Chris, that prompted me to think a little more about educating young people on it. We uh, helped Wilson Community College. We participated in a uh, job fair uh, one Saturday a couple of years ago. And the way the room was structured, they had some server equipment and what you and I were traditionally called traditional uh, computer equipment set up. Blinking lights, right? <laughs> yeah, the blinking lights. All right, they had those as students walked in the room. We just so happened to be next in the middle. And then we had a private company who did a lot of uh, PC networking and that type of thing that were located on the other end. Well, the kids would come through and they'd zero in on all the servers and they understood all that stuff. And, you know, they seemed to have a grasp of that. They also seemed to understand the networking piece of it. So the technicians and I that were participating, we, they come and look at our stuff and they go, well, you know, what's this? So we just asked a question. I said, well, the servers that are over here next to us, how do you think you connect those over here to the end user who's doing the networking? And it was like dead silence for a little bit. And then they said, well, is it wireless? And that just, the light went off. And I said, okay, these guys don't understand what it takes to connect the two points together, which is what outside plan is. So we started explaining it to them, and we showed, we had some samples of some cable with the glass strands, and the, went into the capacity of how much you could transmit with it. It just seemed to blow their minds. And I said, you know, there are jobs doing this too. And I let some of our technicians talk to them. But it also hit home that there are a lot of aspects of this industry that our young people aren't thinking about when they're thinking about careers. No, I, and I appreciate that because I, you know, one of the things that uh, I think about a lot, you know, my city, St. Paul, Minnesota, not so different than a lot of places in that um, there's not enough high-quality jobs for people who don't have a four-year degree. And uh, these are skills that uh, require specialized training, uh, but may not require that level of, of uh, four years at a you know, college in which you pick up a lot of debt, right? Right. But you think about it. I believe that the vast majority of the need could be met with just a two-year degree from a community college. The four-year degree, if you want to go into more in-depth on marketing or something, yes. But the two-year degree could cover the vast majority of the jobs, I believe, that would be uh, created and, and necessary. Yes. Gene, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, you know, while you have this amazing opportunity on a, on a podcast, I'm curious if there's anything else that you want to talk about. I think, uh, I think we've covered it, Chris, and I appreciate the opportunity very much. And uh, if anyone would ever want to um, come visit us or spend a little more time talking about it, we're, we're always excited to share our experience. We have something unique that we can share. You do. And and I want to say that I really appreciate that, that you did that because I think there's lots of people who have ideas like you did, which is, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if we did this thing with the community college? And a lot of those people think, yeah, but I'm I'm busy. I got the kids. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to spend all my time doing it. But you went out and made it happen. And, and that's really great. And I really want to make sure that, that people um, will appreciate that because we need more people like you to be taking action on those good ideas. So thank you for that. Appreciate that. And I want to throw one other thing that we're just now getting off the ground here in Wilson. Mm -hmm. We're opening up a, we call it a Gig East Exchange. It is going to be a place where folks can network. They can uh, 
come in, have they have an innovative idea, they can learn how they can implement it and market it. But because of our network, fiber optic network that we built, we're now taking it and moving it to the next level by opening up opportunities through through like this exchange where folks will be able to use this network and hopefully be able to foster more innovation and more services. So I just thought I'd put a plug out for that, that we're, we're not just standing idle here. We're moving to the next phase. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. All right. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for tuning in to the special YNC Broadband Matters podcast series and for listening to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Remember to follow Christopher on Twitter. His handle is at CommunityNets. And if you follow at NCHeartsGB on Twitter, you'll tap into all the NC Broadband Matters material. We want to thank Shane Ivers of SilvermanSound.com for the series music, What's the Angle, licensed through Creative Commons. And we also want to thank you for listening. Until next time.